Welcome to Shit Your Teenagers Won't Tell You, a podcast about everything you need to know about teens. I'm Kathy. And I'm Meredith. And we speak teenager. Uh, did we also mention that we're best friends? We've worked as admission officers, prep school administrators, and most importantly, have coached thousands of teens. In other words, we have seen it all. So join us every week as we give you the lowdown on all the shit your teenager isn't telling you. Because trust us, there's a lot of it. And if you don't know what to do with the teenagers in your life, don't worry. We've got your back. everybody meredith and i are back because guess what we have another episode for you woo, woo, woo. and this time we're going to talk about parenting teenagers dun 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 yes our Be- specialty our speciality is the teens and they're a pain in the ass let's be real <laughs> They're not always. Yeah, I mean, I, you know what sweet. I? No, they're sweet, and you know what? I, like I working love teens. working with teenagers. And the, sometimes I tell parents, I was like, teenagers are like really dumb adults. <laughs> that's, that's maybe fair. Yeah, it's not totally inaccurate. It's like they think that's, they're adults, and sometimes you can even treat them like an adult. And you're like, oh my god, we're having this really thoughtful, deep conversation, and then they go do some stupid shit, and you're like, oh, you're a child. I you're, forgot. Yeah, you're still a child. <laughs> That is the illusion of adolescence. That, is it, that they make, they lull you into believing that they have a level of maturity that they don't have. Don't trust. They don't believe that. No, mm-hmm. don't believe it. They don't have any sense. They, they have, have some sense. Some sense, but not all the sense. But not that much. <laughs> so we thought we'd do an episode on parenting teenagers because I think it's different and the same as parenting little kids. There's still some things like structure, consequences, yeah. consistency, all of that stuff. That is true for little kids, is also true for teenagers, but some things start changing and you're probably noticing that your relationship with your teenager is changing. Totally. And how do you parent appropriately as you prepare them for that next stage of their life? If they're going to college, they're going to be independent really soon, living independently, making their own choices. And how do you make sure they're going to keep making good choices? How are they going to keep themselves safe and do all the right things? And it's hard to know, but- Meredith and I have worked with lots of teens. So many. Over the course of our career. So we're going to give you some of our top tips if we might be bold enough to do so, if you would allow us to be bold enough to do so. But Meredith, why don't you start us off? What's your first parenting? Yeah, first parenting tip. Well, you don't have to be your top, but you know. Yeah. Of the, we did a little brainstorm earlier. What's something that you think? Parents of teens really need to be conscious of as they are parenting. Okay. Okay. I got this. <laughs> so I think one of the trends that I have seen is that there tends to be this temptation because you have this sort of like large child in your home who, you know, at this point can dress themselves and feed themselves and drive themselves and do mm-hmm. a lot of adulty kinds of things that sometimes we forget to your point earlier, that they are still very much children. They are in a later stage of childhood. They're in a middle stage at high school, by the way, middle adolescence, technically. But they're still very much children. So what I see sometimes is in the need of helping your children cultivate greater independence, there can be this sort of this abdication of responsibility. Oh, they'll figure it out. Or, you know, they need to just like figure that out and figure out how to get themselves from point A to point B or where there's a little bit more of a laissez-faire kind of approach to parenting 
And this is made, I think, more complicated if you have multiple children in your home, some of whom are littler, whose maybe day-to-day needs are a little more in your face. So just because adolescents are not as needy in the way that they were when they were like eight or nine, they actually, I think, need you more. A parent once asked me if I could choose any time in the childhood sort of lifespan where I would have stayed home with my children, what phase would it have been? And I said adolescence without hesitation because it's the stage of development that tends to be the most complex and a -hmm. lot of it is happening sort of internally and behind the scenes. So I think my sort of like number one piece of advice is this is the time as a parent for you to be more involved, more curious. But when I say that, the nature of your involvement, how you get involved is really important because if you're just too involved by being all in their business, doing things for them, that's going to backfire. Micromanaging. Don't micromanage is a bad idea. But what I mean by that is know who their friends are, have relationships with those friends' parents, have, you know, there's a temptation to sort of say, well, you know, all of their friends are getting iPhones in their freshman year, or all of their friends are staying out till midnight. Even if that makes you a little uncomfortable, stick to your kind of rules and boundaries. Adolescents need boundaries, no less, and I would make the argument even more than younger children. So I think just sort of know that like- Can you say that again? I think that's so important. Okay. And I think parents miss that. And I I agree with you wholeheartedly. Yeah. Adolescents need backstops. They need boundaries. They will push against them. That is their sort of developmental wiring at this stage. They will make it not as pleasant for you to set those boundaries often. Oh, they will make it your life. (laughs) Hell. But you must do it. It's so, so critical, which sort of brings me to- You can't do that if you're trying to be your kid's friend. Oh, this is my pet peeve. Go for it. (laughs) You ain't their friend. Oh, Lord. And I get it because Meredith and I work with teenagers. And some of the teenagers I work with, I'm like, I would like to be your friend. You're so cool and interesting. And you have all these amazing thoughts about life that I think are just – it's so fun to be helping kids have those conversations at the stage of their life where they're developing their own sense of self, their values, their thoughts on the world. It's actually a really cool stage of development, which is why Meredith and I work with so many teenagers. But the mistake that I think parents make is that they want to be liked too much by their teen. Yeah, yeah. And in that wanting to be liked by them, they can be too permissive. They can... Like you were saying, abdicate responsibility. Like, whatever. They'll figure it out. They're almost grown. They're going to have to, whatever, do X, Y, Z or figure solve that out. Solve that problem. And in some ways, I mean, there are times when that's appropriate. But I think that this whole friendship thing really can get in the way of good parenting. And especially when you have kids who are making the wrong choices, who are making mistakes over and over again, who are lying who are manipulating you. <laughs> and oh, yeah. They're good at that. You're like, Very uh, good. Like, yeah, exactly. And it's funny. I'll have parents who will say, oh, well, you know, it's my husband. 
Oh, oh they no. really, my daughter really knows how to work my husband. Oh, trust me, she's working you too. <laughs> I mean, just the fact that you made that statement shows us that she's working you too. <laughs> I'm like, oh, trust me, she's working you too. She has triangulated y'all. <laughs> yeah, she, they know the teenagers. Oh, they know. They're good. All. They're Sniff so. It out. Oh, and they will ooh, smell blood tricky. in the water. Yo, they are tricky. They're tricky, <laughs> tricky, tricky. And they do it with adult, all the adults in their life. It's not just you that as teachers. Oh, yeah, they do it with us all the time. They do. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, what? Uh-uh. But they need to be called out on that. And yeah. you know what? It's really uncomfortable. And it still needs to be done. And they're going to kick and scream and yell. And it gets worse when they're teenagers, right? Like having a little kid throw a tantrum, you can just understand like, okay, they're not emotionally regulating. They're not using their words. And they're <laughs> this is how they know how to express their frustration, anger, sadness, whatever. And then the teenagers, whew. I mean, a question I would, you know, I'm always struck when I'm hanging out with my friends who are parenting smaller kids. And, you know, you know that sort of routine of maybe they're in a store and someone hands them something and they say, well, you know, they they provide a prompt of, you know, what do you say? And then over time that becomes a habit, right? Oh, please. Thank you. You're welcome. So think about all of the things that you reinforced, all of the good manners or the behaviors or the habits that you really sort of intentionally reinforced when your children were smaller. It is still the case that they need just as much, if not more, reinforcement when they're bigger because the stuff is more complicated. And so what behaviors in your child need reinforcing? I think that might be a way to think about it. So, for example, like I call kids out on bad manners in adolescence all of the time. Of course, they intellectually know that they should say, you know, please or thank you. But because they are still children, they do still need that check. They do still need that boundary of actually that's not how we show up in this family or those aren't our values. And that's a really small kind of silly example, but I think it speaks to sort of what we're trying to get at, which is they need to know boundaries of appropriateness for lots of different areas of life. Now, the difference is when you've got a five-year-old, it's sort of binary. This is right. This is wrong. We don't do this. We do do this. When you have an adolescence, they're going to want to argue with you and you need to be open to that. And what I mean by that is not reactive. I mean, sometimes you just need to be like, look, I'm pulling the parent card. Here we go. But engage in a conversation because you may be wrong. That's also true. So for example, I had a student I was working with recently whose all of their friends have a much later curfew than this student. Their parents hold a pretty firm line on when this kid can come home. And I'm working with him and he's sort of throwing a little temper tantrum with me about extending his curfew and, oh, they don't get it. And they don't like, and all my friends. So like, it looks so weird. I have to leave a party and I have to call my mom and it's so awkward. (laughs) And I was like, is this how you show up when you talk to them? I said, because if you showed up like that with me, there's no way in hell I would extend your curfew because you sound like a child. Mm -hmm. I was like, so you need to come correct like an adult human who's thought about what it is that they're concerned about and strategically addressing that. So that's one conversation. With the parents, I said, absolutely, hold your line. And- why is it that when this child is a senior, you have exactly the same time for them to come home as you did when they were a freshman? What about that feels good for you? What about that needs revisiting? So all that to say is like, engage in real conversation. Be prepared to engage in conversation with your child. You can still pull the like, because I said so card. Do that seldom, but have boundaries. And when you see your kid acting a fool in front of you, check that. I mean, I mm-hmm. think that sort of that too permissive we see much more the case that we're working with kids who where there's too permissive, not too restrictive. I didn't say that very well, but you know what I'm saying. 
I do know what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, it's more often the case that we see parents who are being too permissive with their teenager. Yeah. I think it's because they've pulled the wool over your eyes. <laughs> And you think, oh, they're so responsible. You know, they turn in all of their homework and they do their homework every night. <laughs> and so they can stay out on weekends as late as they want. And they can have the car and leave the house whenever they want. And they can do the mm, – no, because it's really – What a really, low bar. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Meredith. I mean, yeah. What a low bar. Well, and then the second you become permissive, it's really hard to reel it back in. Oh, yeah, that's hard. It's so hard that's to reel hard. it back in. Like giving – just a little bit when they've earned it, okay, I can understand that and I think it's appropriate. But when you just kind of are like, you know what, you're grown. You're just basically an adult living in our house and you can kind of do your own things. I had a parent ask me once, like, I told my child that she could, she's a senior. I told my child that she could have a weekend away with her boyfriend who's also a senior. And now I'm regretting my decision. And I was yeah. like, you think? <laughs> Sorry, like not to judge, but that is too permissive. Your child is not ready. For well, that. I hope you I had just... a lot of conversation about <laughs> sexual health and relationships. Well, yes, and I did mention that I was like, "Have you had lots of conversations about sex and relationship and what that means? And Who, have consent, you talked? Have and you substances and yeah? And have you talked to the other set of parents? And what have you agreed? You know, there's just all these conversations. And what conversations have you had with the kids? Like. All of this boils down to, I think, for teenagers is having these conversations to help them think through yeah. all of the what-ifs and the concerns and the maybes and the, you know, it helps them make sense of the situation more deeply in a way that they're not thinking of, right? Because as a teenager, no matter how mature your teenager is, yeah, they're going to be psyched to get a weekend away <laughs> with their boyfriend or girlfriend, yeah, right? Sounds fun. Maybe they're not sexually active. Okay, fine. I'll accept that for the purpose of this conversation. But is that actually appropriate, right? And having that instead of like, you don't need to have that conversation behind closed doors when you have a teenager, like a senior in high school. You can actually have that conversation with them. And should. I mean, I yeah. think that's the point is to be inclusive. But I think it, we want you to be inclusive because they teenagers do have good minds, a lot of them, and they will make salient points. However, you're not on equal footing. I think I work with some parents who are legit like afraid of their kids. Mm. Or their kids can outwit them. Or, or out their kids reason, or out logic or out reason. I was them. that child. Well, no, were, I was. I was I would try, but my parents came. came. <laughs> well, your parents are pretty. My parents yeah, are yeah, like, oh, pretty, you want to flex on me, kid? <laughs> Okay. But there are kids like that who are kind of, who can kind of do logic circles around their parents, right? And if you feel that happening, shut that shit down. (laughs) If you feel that permission. Well, I would say if you feel like that's happening, watch them have a little fit when you shift it to feelings. When you shift that moment to, you know what? This conversation is making me feel X. It's making me feel disrespected. It's making me feel whatever. It's making me feel uncertain. You know, take your power back as a parent in that moment and anchor it in how they're, you know, these really smart, because I, I could do, I was that way. I would be super analytical mm-hmm, mm-hmm. without regard to the impact I might be having on the people around me. And so, for example, I think sometimes in a popular culture, I have two things to say about this. It's too often, oh, that's just teenagers. That's just how they, you know, they're just like sometimes I'll be out in society. When I leave my house. <laughs> out in the wild. Meredith out in the wild. Meredith in the wild. It's like, you know, 
Trader Joe's. <laughs> And I'll listen to teens just be so sassy with parents. Ooh, yes, and girl. I don't know if it's a culture thing or like, oh boy, that wouldn't have happened for me. And when I watch the sort of look of defeat on that parent's face when their child just said something really nasty, and you know, I don't pretend to understand all of the ins and outs, but I do think respect and modeling respect is really important. You modeling respect for your children and their thoughts and them modeling it back, even if you disagree. Yeah. Because the primary way that children learn to treat other people is going to be from the relationships in their immediate environment, their mm -hmm. formative relationships. And this is going to be the case with things like friendship, how we interact with strangers in a restaurant, how we have romantic relationships. So really being thoughtful about, you know, what relationship skills am I modeling or not? And if you're noticing that your child is behaving in a way that's bringing behavior out in you that you don't like, that like isn't aligned to your values, like that's a really good moment to like call attention to it, like name it, talk about it, like go there with them. I have one more thing that I wanted to say, which connects back to your point, which is do not believe everything your kid tells you. <laughs> Just don't. And it's not coming from a place uh, of thinking they're being duplicitous. Yeah. It's rare that actually, I think it's, I mean, I've encountered them, but it's rare that I'm running into a student who's like truly just deceptive, you know, like a deceptive mastermind. <laughs> no, we don't. We Most of them are not. Most of them are not, A, that sophisticated, and B, they're just trying to soften a blow typically. But you cannot, you have to take certain things with a grain of salt for a couple of reasons. One, emotional, because they don't have sort of the prefrontal cortex sort of horsepower that they need to regulate some emotional regulation, often their reactions are outsized. They're disproportionate. So they yep. need our help as adults to help them sort of self-regulate. The other thing is that, like, you need to be curious. So when they come home and say, my math teacher hates me, you know, if it's really histrionic language, or, oh, yeah, 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 we, we talked to those parents, and they said that they're going to be home on Saturday too. Oh, there's only kids from my school going to that party. Don't, you better not believe that. You better fact check that stuff. <laughs> but is not going to be true, I assure you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's pretty funny. We had an office brunch today, and I connected one of the teens that I coach with the spouse of one of our team members because he works in an industry that she's potentially interested in. And, you know, the last time I talked to this teen, I was like, hey, did you set up that informational meeting? She's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I emailed him, and uh, I haven't heard back yet. And today, guess what I heard? <laughs> no email? Uh, yeah. He's oh, emailed I, twice and hasn't heard back but I, yet. I, 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 I turned in the paper and they lost it. I put it in their mailbox. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's all sorts of garbage I mean, like that out there. We should just have a list that we make for parents so they can have like a checklist. Like if they hear any of the following, they should just immediately call bullshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's not that we're we're telling you not to trust your kids. but No. <laughs> it's inquiry. Have inquiry. Because yeah. they're also going to come they're going to pull on your heartstrings because – and it's legitimate. They might come home from like a weekend social activity and be really upset because they think something in their friend dynamic is off or they're – something went down at a party and they're just so upset about it and so-and-so was so mean to them and so-and-so's parents were so mean to mm. them and your mama, papa, bear instincts are going to be all fired up and you are going to be like, how dare <laughs> so-and-so treat you like that? Yeah. And maybe – they were treated like that, okay? Maybe, probably more likely, there's some middle ground there. Nonetheless, your job in that moment isn't to loop emotionally with your child, but to provide 
again, help them emotionally regulate. Okay, how would you problem solve? How would you, well, what do you think you need to do? How can yeah. I support you? Yep. What do you need from me? Well, here's, you know, have you considered how you've contributed to the outcome? You know, that stuff. They need, teenagers really need that help. Absolutely. And a lot of times when teenagers are sharing how they're feeling, it's actually real. Like yeah. from the way that they see Big. it, that actually is how it felt, yeah. right? That this person did something that was not intentionally hurtful, but hurt their feelings. And so they're coming home with big hurt feelings. And it begs the question for parents, like, are you emotionally <laughs> intelligent yeah. enough to have some of these conversations with kids? Because it does, I think, require that. And what we find, yeah. I don't just anecdotally, for the kids that I work with, the ones who are emotionally intelligent and more mature, I think, for their age are the kids who are able to have these types of more open conversations with their parents. It's not universally true, but it's one way as a parent that you can actually help your teenager. Yeah. And in addition, which speaks to the modeling, which I think is huge, huge, huge for any age. So model, big. model, model. Even when you don't think you're modeling, you're modeling. I mean, they're watching you all yeah. the time. They take in so much information in their environment. And, you know, let's say your kid comes home and they're super upset. It's also not minimizing how they feel. It's sort of helping them suit, learn to self, right? Again, go back to the same stuff you did when your kids were little. Help your kid learn to self-soothe. Help your kids to sort of calm their emotional state and their nervous system before thinking about decisions, right? Help them follow up with people they need to follow up with. All of that still holds the same, if not greater weight in adolescence. I think the other thing that, and I'd be curious, Kathy, what you think about this. This is something I ran into a lot in my career, and it has to do with things like, you know, the kind of kind of tropes of teenagers, you know, the sex, drugs, rock and roll stuff, particularly when it came to drinking and substances on party culture in high school. There, I encountered just such a spectrum of parents. There were the parents who, you know, had their kids under lock and key and could like never Zero leave tolerance. their home. Yeah. Zero tolerance. Yeah. A lot of shaming behaviors, mm -hmm. you know. On the other hand, you had parents who were, like, supplying alcohol, throwing the party in their home. Mm -hmm. Providing the security guards for the party. Prov <laughs> Facts. Facts. And everything in between, right? And so this is sort of getting into personal territory because I recognize that every family has, like, sort of a different set of values or maybe a different relationship to some of this stuff, but – we have to remember that they're still children, and so things that are dangerous, risky behaviors, which they will be tempted to experiment with because they are trying to figure out who they are. It's a very appropriate developmental move for a teenager to experiment. Like, that happens. It's normal. That's where those boundaries really need to be in place, especially if we're dealing with anything with regards to safety issues. I think safety issues you just kind of can't play. Mm -hmm. But – what do you think about that? What do you think about the parent that provides the alcohol and the party and sort of justifies it by saying, well, they're safer if they do it in my house? I mean, I think it's a slippery slope and I think it's mm. dangerous because it's dangerous territory because you are putting other kids at risk. You don't know yes. what their parents – are you calling every single parent of the kid who's coming to your party and getting a signed waiver and release saying that – my underage child is going to be drinking at your party. And if they get into an accident or cause an accident on their way home, 
I released liability so that you can have this party. I mean, it's just kind of crazy making. And I think it puts other parents, like, I think it puts other parents in a hard place, right? I've had parents say to me, yeah. like, now I'm going to be the, the, the uncool mom. Right. I'm the asshole because I won't let him her go to this party that's going to be have security and have people's, people will be taking keys at the door. They're taking every precaution to make sure kids are safe. I mean, and if you're a parent and you're like, I'm not comfortable with that, you should be able to say that to your kid and say, I understand that other people are going to this party, but we're not comfortable. And what do they do if they throw a fit? You tell me I can't go to that party and I go, you're the worst. I hate you, mom. Yeah. And it just causes World War III at home, right? And I think for parents of teenagers, they're constantly thinking about the battles they want to fight because there's just too many. And you want to maintain some peace and love at home and warmth, right? And it's really hard with the teenagers. So I think for the parents who are throwing these parties, you know, I would question the impact that you have on others, that choice is having on others, whether you're aware of it or not, or whether or not you think it's reasonable. Like people can are allowed to react the way they want to react. Just from my own personal experience, I come from a family that is not particularly strict on drinking, like especially when it's just like family and it's New Year's Eve and we just had a New Year's Eve and there were teenagers there and we all had champagne, you know, when at dinner and, you know, people were celebrating and that's okay. But at what point does that start impacting others? I think that's kind of my, yeah. that's how I think about it. Well, I also think it's really different if like the 18-year-old senior at New Year's Eve with their family is having like a glass of wine, you know, because we don't, we're not, what's that phrase, teetotaling? Yeah, teetotaling. Yeah. What is that, some prohibition? I mean, whatever, shotgun beers with your family if you want to. I don't care. Like, I really don't, I really don't care if it's like. Yeah, it's not a moral thing. I think it's a safety thing. And it's a, frankly, also, if you are that parent throwing parties, especially in the state of California, that's a legal thing. Like, you will be criminally held accountable if something bad happens, no matter if you have that waiver signed or not. So I think that's something to honestly be very careful about if you are a parent. And that's a fairly recent law, I think, like five or six years ago. Also, you can run into all kinds of trouble with your school. Because guess what? As a dean of students, every Monday – I knew the parties happened on the weekend. So let's say there's a party and there's a sexual assault at that party that's in your home. And I hear about that on Monday. Well, now there's a whole police are involved because I'm a mandated reporter. There's maybe disciplinary consequences at the school. If there's a handbook that sort of prohibits families from supplying, you know, from breaking the law. I think it's important to remember that supplying teenagers with alcohol is breaking the law. And again, it's just, Going into this sort of eyes wide open, sort of knowing that. But, you know, when your teenager puts up resistance, I think engaging them in a conversation of why this is why we're worried. And you talked about picking battles. I think it's hard for sure to know which battles to pick. But I tend to sort of the guidance I often provide families is when it's a safety issue, that's when you get to draw the line. Yeah, I agree. Same with mental health. I agree. And, you know, one of the things that I would hear parents say to me a lot, well, and kids would say to me when I worked in high school is, well, I am letting my child party or going, or I'm letting them go to these parties because I don't want college to be the first time they figure out how much alcohol they can handle. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> what, what a stream of logic that is. Oh Lord. And I, I mean, 
Newsflash. I know. I, uh, I have How about engaging in actual conversation about substances and educating yourselves and others about, you know, I mean, there's really, for example, if your child goes to a school that doesn't have good drug and alcohol education, that would be an area to really reinforce before they go off to college. Like, like literally, you know, because I see the thing that you see the most is little 90-pound freshman girls binge drinking and passing out and they're hospitalized because they're blackout drunk because they have no one has talked to them about like the science of alcohol. You know, this is how much alcohol per, like mm-hmm, they just don't. Mm-hmm. This is how much alcohol is in a They don't actually. Shot. Here's how much alcohol is in a beer. Yeah. And I would make, you know, I hope not terribly controversial statement that they didn't need to binge drink and pass out and blackout and go to the hospital and have their stomach pumped to, to learn, learn that, that to mm. learn that. Yeah. And this is another parenting opportunity, another opportunity to model temperance. Uh, <laughs> Boy, that's not a word I hear you use. <laughs> I don't have a lot of temperance. You don't have I. a lot of temperance. <laughs> but you can model it, right? Like yeah, we yeah, yeah. have a party at my house. Like my family is festive AF. Same. Right? Like we do shots. That, I mean, I can't drink, so I don't do shots. But there are plenty of people doing shots and toasting yeah. and drinking and getting a little tipsy. And I think – it's fine. Like, I think it's actually pretty healthy modeling. Nobody's getting in a car. People are doing it at home. And then they go to their bedroom and they go to bed. <laughs> like, that's the end yeah, of it. It's like, okay, I'm kind of drunk now, guys. Gotta go home sleep. <laughs> there's like responsible behavior. And yeah. I also just think it's just so important to just talk about the stuff. Talk about it. Talk about it. Talk about it. Oh, yes. They're going to be – do scenarios. Do case – email us. We'll give you plenty of cases. What would you do in this situation? You know, what would what would you do if you notice your friend is hooking up with a girl who's passed out? Like, what would you do? You know, that that kind of stuff. I mean, I'm, I think we're being a little scary right now, and we don't mean to be, but I think you and I, just having worked with so many teenagers – those, those are real things. These, these are not uncommon things, unfortunately. They're not uncommon. And – the other part of this is you can't just all of a sudden start doing this in high school. <laughs> so you can't just be like, I'm never going to have a serious conversation <laughs> yeah. with yeah, anything yeah, yeah. or sex or drugs or rock and roll. None of it. We're not going to talk about any of it. But as soon as you're in high school, I'm going to be like, so have you heard about? <laughs> Two episodes to listen to are, I think, season one, we had a sort of an adolescent development 101, which is get frames sort of where – kids are. And then I think I'm thinking about our episode with with Justine Fonte around sex and sexual identity and sexual health and sexual relationships. So, so, such a great episode. You demystify it by talking about it. And you, you, the earlier you talk about it, the less it becomes taboo. It's just something that you talk about. And she had a line in there that I've since used all the time, which is have 100 one-minute conversations instead of one 100-minute conversation. Totally. And I love that. I thought that was such good advice. Okay. So we've talked about being consistent. We've talked about sort of having backstops and boundaries. I also think like – I don't know how to say this, but just love up on your kid sort of demonstratively. And that may not be everyone's style, but I love – nothing makes me happier than watching like a teenager – getting sort of pounced on by their parents physically, like, like they're hugging them or they're like giving yeah. them a kiss and they're like, Whoa. but I know, <laughs> but, but here's the thing. You see that reaction. What Kathy and I see when we work in schools is sort of them coming into our office later at a meeting and sort of like cutely joking about that. Like you can tell that that sinks in, in a way that's really like kind of lovely Absolutely. And so I think sometimes, you know, they're like, maybe they're gross, maybe they're a little stinky. (laughs) 
But I think the more that like that affectionate, the more affection, I think, again, modeling, right? Because teenagers are so, don't lose sight of the fact that they're incredibly self-conscious in adolescence. Fair, even they will not give you the satisfaction of like showing it, but they are very self-conscious. They're always trying to fit in. Always, always, always trying to fit in. Mm -hmm. So the more like, Acceptance. Acceptance and compassion that they can receive while still being boundaried, while still being authoritative when necessary, the better. And it's a hard balance. I think we're talking about balance and it's not – it's by no means easy to strike that balance. Yeah. And even if you – you know, I my mom is not a very warm person, but I think that if that kind of display of physical affection doesn't come naturally for you, yeah, I think that it can come in words. Right. And just being empathetic and open and curious, asking open-ended questions, being present, being available. That is so much Mm. of what teenagers need. And knowing that you're still paying attention to what's going on in their lives and it matters to you, right? What they're doing matters to you. It's not that they're just this adult roommate that you have in, in your life. I love what you just said. I think that you are still paying attention and that you're there. You know, you're still at the games if you can be, or if you have a really gnarly work schedule, you're sending that text, wishing Mm -hmm. them good luck, right? Because I think teenagers are actually, they're very resilient and they have a lot of grace, but they, they just feel so good when the people in their lives that they love and who are most important to them are around. Even if they pretend like they find it annoying. They love it. They love it. They do. (laughs) Well, I think that's our episode. Okay. All right. Okay, parents of teenagers, Godspeed. Hang in there, friends. (laughs) Doing the best you can. You you got this.